Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So I'm going to kick things off today with a big announcement. One of the coolest things we do as a church is something called the grocery store buyout. Uh, It's wonderful. If you've been here long enough to experience it, you know it is one of the best Sundays that we have at Collective. And this is a Sunday where we don't meet here at the building. We actually meet at the Wise on Prospect Boulevard to buy out the grocery store in order to help fight food insecurity in Frederick. And this all started in 2019 uh, when we were kicked out of the gym at West Frederick Middle School, not because we did anything wrong. I know immediately like everyone goes that route. What did Collective do? We didn't do anything, okay? They were resurfacing the floors. They needed us out. And instead of trying to find a new location, we decided to go out into the community and make a difference. And it was such an incredible Sunday. We just kept doing it. And so this year, the grocery store buyout will be held on August 13th. Uh, you can show up anytime between 8 a.m. and 12 p.m. We actually started a little bit earlier this year. Collective has grown so much. Uh, last year, we just did it over three hours, and they're like, there are collective people everywhere. We're like, all right, let's make it a little bit longer. And so what you do is you show up, you grab a grocery list, and you get shopping. And you can buy a few items on that list, or you can buy a few carts full, whatever you want. And everything purchased that day will be donated to a few local organizations like the Frederick Rescue Mission, Blessings in a Backpack, and CareNet Pregnancy Center. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take pictures of this, mark your calendars now. We're going to talk a lot about this over the next few weeks as we gear up for it. Uh, and for those of you who are new at Collective and you're hearing this thing about grocery or buy and you're wondering, does this count as church? Of course it does. Uh, your Catholic grandmother completely disagrees, but this is still <laughs> church that Sunday. And what's really cool is that over the history of the grocery store buyout, uh, this church, you all, have purchased and donated over 40,000 pounds of food, including 22,000 last year alone. Now, I do have a funny story about that, though. Last year, when I announced the grocery store buyout, the goal was actually supposed to be 15,000 pounds of food, and I forgot, and so I just made up a number, and it said 20,000 pounds, and you should have seen the look on my staff's face. They were pissed off. Uh, It was like shock and panic and anger, and I was like, I don't know, but you guys are going to have to figure it out. Uh, And the thing is, you all crushed it. And so here's the big announcement for this year. This year, we're going to move it up. Our goal is 50,000 pounds of food. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Wives can't hold 50,000 pounds of food. What are you talking about? Um, Here's the real announcement. Uh, This year, it's not just grocery store buyout. We're launching a new thing called For Frederick Week. And from August 6th through August 13th, this is a week of us serving in the community that will culminate with our grand finale that is the grocery store buyout. And so this is an incredible opportunity for us to show Frederick uh, what collective, what this church is all about. It's an incredible opportunity for us to show Frederick that God is good. Um, And really, it's an incredible opportunity for us to put our faith into action. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James 2, 14. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And then a few verses later, he says, "So, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is a dead and useless faith. And so at Collective, our faith isn't the type of faith where we just sit on our hands. 
It's not the type of faith where we believe but don't act. It's not the type of faith that we believe is just for us. Really, we understand that we want other people to experience Jesus because he has changed our lives and we know he can do the same for others as well. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to go out and serve in the community. And so during this week, there's gonna be nine different service projects. We have a few days have multiple, a few days just have one. And they range from things like lawn care to serving meals to packing bags for students in our county who are food insecure. Uh, these are projects that kids and teens can be a part of. There are projects that will make you sweat. Uh, and there are projects that you can put your absolute heart and soul into. And the real challenge for this week is going to be this. Uh, some of you are going to have to take time off to do it. And that's intentional because that's when the organizations ask for our help. And one thing we know is true is you're going to get to the end of this year and you're going to have a week or two weeks or three weeks of vacation left over because you didn't use it all. And, and so this is a great opportunity for you to take a few hours and to serve in our community. Now, we wouldn't be collective if we didn't set some big goals. So here they are for this week. The goal for Fort Frederick Week is for us as a community to cumulatively serve over 500 hours, and it's to purchase 5,000 household or baby items and 15,000 pounds of groceries at the grocery store buyout. And the thing is, you know, if you're here with us in May, we talked about, we did the mission restock and we kind of did groceries and. And we realized that there's a lot of organizations in our community that can benefit from your generosity and from your time. And so we're kind of venturing into groceries and, you know, household items and baby items as well. And if we hit these goals, here's what's really cool. This means if we hit these goals, we will break 100,000 pounds of groceries donated and over 10,000 household and baby items donated in the lifetime of our church. And so this is a huge deal. And this means as a church that we have to stretch ourselves. And this means if you're new to collective, right, you're not plugged in yet, you're not on a team, you're not in a group, we set a goal so high that you have to be involved in this. Right? It's not something where you can just attend here and hope other people take care of it. This is a whole church effort. And there are two ways that you can sign up for this. Uh, you can open up the Church Center app. In the bottom right, there's a thing called signups. You can click on that, you can sign up right now. Or after service, you can head to the pallet wall and we have this whole setup for Fort Frederick Week. You can scan the QR code. It'll tell you a little bit more about the projects, what time they are, um, what day of the week they are. You can pick more than one. You can do as many as you want. You want to take a whole week off and do all nine, you can do all nine. You can bring your friends. And then for everybody, whether you join in one of these service projects or not, it's to show up and show out on August 13th at the grocery store buyout. You don't need to sign up for that one. Just pick a time, show up at the Wise Markets on Prospect Boulevard and shop until you drop. You know, one question I often ask my staff and leaders at, at Collective is, if Collective ceased to exist, would Frederick feel it? Because here's the truth. Churches die all the time and no one notices. Last year alone, over 6,000 churches closed their door, and I'm not sure that it was felt. I don't want Collective to be one of those churches. And really, I don't think God wants any church to be one of those churches. Collectives should be a beacon of hope and grace and life in our community. And as we grow as a church, our impact should grow as well. And our presence should be such that Frederick should feel it. They, they should know that there is a church here called Collective that wants to do everything they can to bring Jesus into our city. And that's what For Frederick Week is all about. Now, anytime uh, we choose to have faith that's bold and we take a big risk as a church when we set high goals, one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that we ask God to go ahead of us just like he promises. Right? God says he's going to go ahead of us, but we're going to pray that God can do more than what we can do just ourselves. And so let's do this. Will you pray with me for Fort Frederick Week for the grocery store buyout 
and the impact that these can have and the opportunities they can give us to show Frederick the love of Jesus that truly is life-changing. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, God, thank you so much um, for the opportunities we have as a church uh, to show up, to, to take action, to, to use our time and, and our generosity and our talents and even just our willingness um, to serve in our, our, our city and our county that we love. And God, more than anything, we are thankful for the opportunities that we have to show other people just how good you are. So God, I pray as we look at our schedules, as we look at the timing of things, God, that we make this a priority. And it's not just lawn care, but showing people that there is a God who loves them unconditionally, and we get to bring that presence into Frederick. So God, thank you for the opportunities that you give us to serve. God, thank you that you call us to a faith that has action. It's not just about taking in and learning and sitting, but but going out and bringing it to other people. Uh, God, God, I pray that you do so much more during Fort Frederick Week, week and during the grocery store buyout uh, that it blows us away. God, you've done that before, and we pray you do it again. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So one thing that is true about me is that uh, I love reading the Bible. And I feel like every time I read, I learn something new and something hits me in a way that hasn't hit me before. And even if I've read the story before, because my life has changed when I read the Bible again, it just kind of hits me in a, in a different way. And I can honestly say that reading scripture uh, helps me grow, it helps me heal, it gives me wisdom. But I need to be real with you all for a second. There are times when I'm reading the Bible and I'll read a few chapters and get to the end and think, what the heck just happened? Because right? it doesn't make any sense to me. And there are times when I wish that I could like, go down to the bottom, there'd be this little cliff note to sum up these stories for me. Now, if you read your Bible and you've ever felt that way, I think you're going to love the series that we're starting today. Today, we're kicking off a new series called TLDR. A few months ago, I used this in a sermon, and a bunch of people came up to me afterward, and they're like, what's TLDR? So let me explain this a little bit. TLDR means too long, didn't read. You see this online when there's lengthy posts, or maybe someone puts it at the bottom of an email, and what they do is they write one or two, TLDR, one or two sentences, and they sum it all up. And so that's kind of what we're going to do in this series. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing stories from the Bible uh, that we couldn't possibly read all of on a Sunday morning, at least not in a way that you would want to listen to. And we're going to take those stories and we're going to TLDR them. And over the next few weeks, we will have a wonderful group of guest speakers sharing some of their favorite stories with you all. Now, during this time, I will be taking my yearly preaching break. The overseers of this church and their wisdom uh, and their care for me and my family, they have me takes, take multiple weeks off from preaching in the summer so I can refresh, so I can take a deep breath, so we can think about the things to come. Uh, one of the things I do is I actually visit other churches that are bigger than us and a little bit further ahead of us so I can learn what could be coming next for Collective. Now, I share this with, with you all because you won't see me again until August 6th. First service, I said April 6th. No one batted an eye. Like, see you in a year. Like, all right, cool. Uh, well, I guess so. No, August 6th. I'll be back August 6th to kick off for Frederick Week together. Um, but I say all this because I don't want you to be alarmed. You know, when you, when you show up next week and I'm not here, it's not a sitcom. They're not writing me off. It's not like an Aunt Viv situation where all of a sudden there's a different Aunt Viv there and no one says anything about it on the Fresh Prince. This is just me taking a break for a few weeks. I promise you I will be back. But for today, to kick off this series, I'm going to share uh, a story I really love in the Bible, a story of a guy named Gideon. Gideon was a follower of God in the Old Testament, and Gideon was a judge. Not a judge as we think about them with like black robes and like slamming gavels, but judges in the Bible were military leaders chosen by God 
to help the Israelites in times of danger. And Gideon is often called the greatest of all the judges. And his story is found in the book of Judges, and Judges 6 through 8 in the Old Testament of the Bible. And I think if there was a few verses that summed up Gideon, it would be these in Judges 8. It says this, And the Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Right? And so if you want to know the character of Gideon, it's that. He doesn't want power. He doesn't want to be a king. He wants the nation of Israel to understand that God is in charge. Now, when you hear the name Gideon, your mind probably goes where mine does, the Gideon's Bible. Uh, Those are the Bibles that if you go to a hotel, you open up your nightstand, it's there. And yes, these two things are connected. The people who hand out Gideon's Bibles are from an organization called Gideon International. And they name themselves after Gideon because they admire his faith. Now, the irony in all of this is that most of the Gideon's Bibles you see only include the New Testament, and the story of Gideon is in the Old Testament, but I digress. Let's just move on to his story. And so here's the context for what we're about to read today. For the past seven years, the Israelites have been crushed by a group of people called the Midianites. And this was a consequence that came because the Israelites had completely disregarded and disobeyed God. Ultimately, they did the opposite of what God had asked them to do, and the result was total devastation. Their food was taken from them. Their homes were destroyed. Their land was stripped bare. And things were so bad for the Israelites that they were forced to live and hide in caves. And once they got to the point of starvation, when people were dying out of hunger, they cried out to God. Now, why did it take the Israelites seven years to cry out to God? We don't actually know. But I would encourage us not to judge them too hard because we kind of do the same thing, don't we? We wait until the addiction is controlling us or until our marriage is hanging on by a thread, until we are metaphorically starving for healing, hope, grace, whatever, and then we cry out to God for help. And that's what the Israelites did. And even after seven years, God heard their prayers. And so what he did was he sent a prophet to deliver a message to them. And for some reason, this prophet came to Gideon, who at the time was just a nobody. Gideon was not a leader. He was not a powerful person. He wasn't the strongest in the land. He was just a dude hiding in a cave. But this is what happens next in Judges 6, 6, starting in verse 12. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Skipping one verse to 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Right? And so God sends a messenger to him, and he's like, You're a hero. And Gideon's response is, Who, me? Like, like no, 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 I'm, I'm not that guy. You must be mistaken. Uh, I'm a nobody. And, and what Gideon was saying was the truth. Gideon didn't have power. He he didn't have any influence. The tribe or family that he was a part of was the lowest of the low. This is like being the worst player on the worst team in football, and the coach saying, you're going to lead us to a Super Bowl. Nobody believes that. But Judges 6.16 says this, And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so God tells Gideon that not only are they going to win this battle, it's going to be easy for them. And the reason God gives them is because God is with them. You see, the story of Gideon is not about Gideon's strength. It's about God's. It's not about Gideon's 
power. It's about God. It's not about what Gideon is capable of. It's about what Gideon is capable of with God. Now, after Gideon gets this challenge from God, things actually get worse for the Israelites. The Midians team up with another group of people and they form an alliance. But Gideon still does what God asks him to do. God asks him to send a messenger to gather all the warriors of Israel and 30,000 men show up to fight with Gideon leading the way. But then like what happens with so many of us when we start to trust God, doubt creeps in. Judges 6.36 says this, Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. A few weeks ago, I was grabbing breakfast with a friend of mine. He's reading through the Bible in a year and he brought up this story and he said, isn't this Gideon testing God? And doesn't God say, don't test me? What's the deal with that? And I gave him this really great answer. I said, I have no idea what the deal is with that. I knew the story of Gideon, but, I, but I'd never really dug into this part. Right? I, I didn't know, and I don't know why Gideon was testing him, but, but one scholar explained it like this. Gideon's problem is that with his limited experience with God, remember, they hadn't talked to God for seven years. And so with his limited experience with God, he doesn't believe and he's never seen that God always fulfills his promises. And the request for signs from God is not a sign of faith in Gideon, but of unbelief in himself. In other words, Gideon is looking for an out because he doesn't believe, even with God by his side, that he is capable of leading the Israelites to victory. And so God reassures him. Verse 38 says, when Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Right? And that's the sign that Gideon needed to go and fight. Just kidding. He actually does it again. Verse 39, it says this, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. And so that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. And just like a little bit earlier, we can judge Gideon for what he's doing but really, we do the same thing when it comes to our conversations with God. This is like when we say to God, God, if you really want me to do this thing, send me a sign. God, if you really want me to break up with him, then I need you to make the fleece dry. God, if you really want me to take that job, then I need you to make the fleece wet. God, if you really want me to take that next step in my faith, make the fleece half wet and half dry and send me a text about it ahead of time so I know it's you. Right? We do this. We ask for this from God. And so this is less about Gideon getting a sign from God and more about Gideon not wanting to do what God had asked him to do because he was afraid that he would fail. But God is God, and God has a plan, and that plan for some reason involves Gideon. So the next morning, the fleece is dry. The story continues in Judges 7. The Lord said to Gideon, at that point, he had 30,000 warriors. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And so 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 people who were willing to fight. This is absolutely my favorite part of this story. God wants to make sure the Israelites understand that the victory that they are about to see is because of him and not because of anything that they have done. And so to prove that, God narrows down the army to 10,000 men. But that isn't enough. Judges 7-4 says this, the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. 
Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to, to determine who will go with you and who will not. Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Now, this sounds weird, but I heard about this in college. So let me explain it like this. Um, the thought is this. The men who drink water by cupping their hands do so in order to keep their eyes on the dangers around them. Right? They bring the water up to their face. They are able to look and drink at the same time. But the men who drink water by kneeling down and putting themselves in a vulnerable position of being attacked because their head is down, right? they're not paying attention to their surroundings. They don't really understand they're in a fight because they're going to put their head toward the water. And in this story, it shows that God only wanted the men who were true warriors, who weren't afraid to fight and who could keep their heads on a swivel. And that left Gideon with just 300 fighters. That's it. And in Judges 7, 7, it says this, the Lord told Gideon with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. And that is exactly what God did. Gideon led his army of 300. They defeated the Midianites, whose army was over 120,000 people at the time. And the result of this for the Israelites was that they had 40 years of peace and prosperity. They no longer had to hide in caves or starve to death. And this story, summing it all up, it could have a couple TLDRs, and I wrestled with a few of them. Here's the first one I wrestled with for today. TLDR, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. This story isn't about Gideon's qualifications or his skill set. He had none. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a judge at the time. He became a judge through God's power. This story is about what God could do through Gideon how God could make him a strong leader, a warrior, a hero, how if God is asking us to do something that feels risky, that feels bold with our faith, that he will give us the wisdom, the strength, the resiliency, and the skills to succeed. Because God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Here's another one I wrestled with for today. TLDR, stop telling God what you aren't capable of. We do this a lot in our faith, don't we? I can honestly say that this is my whole faith journey. It's God asking me to do something and me telling God why I'm the wrong person for that. Me telling him why I'm going to fail, why I'm not capable, why this is gonna end poorly for me and probably for him as well. So in your faith, have you ever done that? Right? God is pushing you. He tells you that you are capable, but you tell him that you are not. God tells you to lead in your marriage, at work, in your family, but you give him all the reasons why someone else could do it better. God tells you to take a next step in your faith, right? To join the team here, to create space for other people to experience Jesus, to join a group, to find community that you can be real and honest and vulnerable with, to get baptized, to go all in when it comes to your faith. And you tell God, how can I do those things? If God is telling you, pushing you, pulling you, nudging you to do something, the reason is because he knows you can do it, even though you might not think so for yourself. Now, for those of you wondering how God pushes, pulls, and nudges us, it comes through scripture and stories like this one. I don't know how you can read the story of Gideon and not feel pushed to continue to grow in your faith. It comes through things like sermons and worship and prayer. It comes through the wisdom from godly friends. You're not going to have an angel show up and come and sit beside you while you're doing work in a cave. But God will use these types of things to tell you and push you toward what he wants you to do. And when he does that, stop telling God what you aren't capable of. Now, here's the TLDR, though, that I really wanted to challenge us with today. 
TLDR, you can do more with God than you can without him. God intentionally brings Gideon's army down to 300 men because he doesn't want Gideon or the Israelites to miss the fact that this is about what God can do in their lives and not what they can do. It is not about their skills. It's not about their strength. It's not about their bravery. It's not about them. And we struggle with this a lot, don't we? It's kind of like this. One time, I was building a playhouse for my girls, and they wanted to help. And so I would have them hand me a tool, or we'd like look at the instructions together, and I'd start putting things together. Uh, you know, and, and they helped, right? It probably took twice as long because they were so helpful. Um, but they barely did anything. Yet when the playhouse was done, they went around telling everybody, we built a playhouse. And we do the same thing when it comes to God. We do this when it comes to our faith. We read our Bible, we trust God with our finances and we're generous, we worship, we serve. And then we step back and say, look at how hard I've worked to grow my faith. But what we should really be saying is look at how God grew my faith. Yes, we have to make it a priority. Yes, we have to develop good disciplines. Yes, we have to do hard work. But without God, none of that is possible. Or or this, the healthiest marriages I know are not the ones that are perfect. There are no perfect marriages. But the best marriages that I see are the ones where couples realize that without God, they would be lost. The best marriages are the ones where people step back and recognize without God being in the center of those marriages, they would be another statistic about divorce, another broken marriage, another loveless marriage, another marriage that exists but doesn't thrive, another marriage that gets to when the kids graduate out of the high school and they don't know what to do with themselves. I can say the same thing about churches, too. There are a lot of churches that do great things. There really are. But what happens is we step back and we say, look at what we did instead of look at what God did through us. Listen, this, this is why when we serve the community, we challenge you to serve the community. We do it the way we do it at Collective because this isn't about us. This is about God. It's about people seeing how good God is through our actions, through our trust in him, through our being bold. This is about other people seeing God's love through the way that we live our lives. This isn't about us. This is about making God known in our city. God can do more in your marriage than you can. God can do more in your addiction than you can. God can do more in your insecurity, your doubts, and your health than you can do alone based on your own abilities. And what this story reminds us is that God wants us to fight. He wants us to take action, to take next steps, to do the work and let him go first because we can do more with God than we can without him. And realizing that we can't do this on our own is one of the most important truths that we can hold on to. Last Sunday, we had Next Step Sunday. And one of the things I said to you all is that there'll be sixth graders in this room today that weren't here last weekend. And so there are sixth graders in this room for the first time today, listening and learning. Will you give it up for those sixth graders? But here's the thing, sixth graders. Here's the first thing that I, that I need you to understand, and I need you to lean in for a second. Everybody needs to hear this, but sixth graders especially. Part of growing in your faith is understanding that you cannot do this on your own. And that is a good thing. You do not need to feel like this is all on you. And when you realize that it's not about what you can do, but it's about what God can do, that's when you will truly create room for God to move in your life. And so when you're in here, you don't need to feel the pressure to know it all, to get it all right, to figure it all out because it's not just on you, right? It's about you and God. It's about you and God and really this community. And while this is true in every part of our lives, it's true when it comes to our friendships, our marriages, our parenting, our mental and emotional health, our addictions and our healing, the biggest way that we see this play out is in our faith and when it comes to salvation. 
John 3.16 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, one of those promises that God makes to us that he backs up is eternal life. He promises us the opportunity at heaven. And this is an eternity where there is no pain and there is no sorrow. He promises us forgiveness and new life, that we can set, be set free from the sin that we have in our life, from the ways that we mess up. But this isn't anything that we can earn. There, there are no boxes that we can check. We can't do enough good things to receive this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See, it is God's grace that saves us. It isn't something that we can earn. It isn't based on merit. It isn't about good deeds. We can't check enough boxes to do that. It is truly a gift from God. And at Collective, we talk a lot about grace because the thing is, we need it. I need grace. You need grace because we are lost and we are broken. We have sin in our life that keeps dragging us down. We have pain in our life that we can't seem to shake. And grace is the only way that we can have a relationship with God and receive the forgiveness and eternal life that he offers. And really, grace is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. In fact, in fact grace is the difference between Christianity and the world. Philip Yancey says this and what's so amazing about grace. He says, there is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that grace is a gift from God that saves us. And no other religion offers that. Other religions encourage sacrifice and service and rituals of purification to attain eternity in heaven. They all believe in some human effort that can achieve favor with God, that salvation can be earned if you knock on enough doors, if you give away enough wealth, if you do enough good deeds, if you say enough Hail Marys, if you stay far away from sin. And the common thread in all of these things is that there's some sort of human effort that can help us reach God's height. But Christianity alone moves in the opposite direction. Rather than us doing enough things where we can climb upward toward God, Christianity asserts that God came down to be with us. Salvation is not accomplished through human effort, but offered through God's grace. And this is why we need it. Because it is grace that saves us through our faith or our belief in Jesus and so that means grace is not clean yourself up and then come to him. Grace is not do the right thing and then you will earn it. Grace is not three strikes and you're out. The way we say it at Collective is grace is endless second chances and grace is for everyone. And the way we celebrate choosing grace and choosing salvation and choosing faith in Jesus is through baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, grace saves us. But going back to what we read earlier in the book of James, faith without action is a dead faith. Baptism is the action tied to our decision of choosing to follow Jesus. And some of you today, you are here and you have spent so much of your life trying to earn grace. You've spent so much of your life trying to check those boxes to earn salvation, to earn favor, to earn faith. But Jesus took care of that. Right? And for those of you who get stuck on that wheel of, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I right enough? It's time to step off. Right? Jesus doesn't require that from you. All he requires is that you receive that grace and you celebrate that through baptism. And for some of you, you'll never get to the place that you're trying to reach. So stop trying to reach that place and just step into who God wants you to be. Now, let me finish with this. Uh, then you don't have to hear from me for a few weeks. In light of this story, in light of the story of Gideon, 
What is God asking you to do right now that you aren't doing? There is, there is truth right now that every single one of us, God is pushing us to take a next step. Like no, no one is exempt from growth in their faith in Jesus. So what is God asking you to do right now that you aren't doing? Here's another one. What is God asking you to step into that you are afraid you will fail? Really, it's the Gideon thing where the angel says to him, says, hey, you're going to be a hero. And he's like, that's not me. And there are things in your life that God is saying right now, you need to step into your marriage. You need to step into your faith. You need to step into the parenting of your kids. You're saying, that, that's not me. I'm going to fail. So what do you need to step into that you are too afraid you will fail? Understand that God will be with you. Here's another one. What do you need to let go of uh, in order to lead your life to see just how capable God is? Like, what are the things that you're holding on to? Is it insecurity you're, you're afraid? Is it that doubt that just kind of sits in your soul? What are those things that you need to let go of so you can see more of who God is? The last thing is this. What do you need to let God lead in your life so you can see just how capable he is? One of the things that, that, that God tells us is that he will do more, even more than what we could ask or imagine. And so many times we stop him from doing that because we are afraid to let him go first. And so what do you need to let go of and what do you need to lead in your life or let God lead in your life so, so you can see how capable he is? Because we read in the story of Gideon, he's the lowest of the low, and yet his willingness to let God go first and let God lead made him one of the greatest judges of all time in history, a victory that he shouldn't have won, all because God went first. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for this story of Gideon, um, for, for this nobody, uh, this guy that um, self-proclaimed was too weak, not, not a hero, not a leader, and yet you used him uh, to, to free the Israelites, to, to bring peace and prosperity and, and health and and, and more faith in you. And God, we're thankful that we see this story that it wasn't about Gideon and what he could do. In fact, he went through the whole process with, with doubts and fear, but it was what you could do when he was willing to say yes. And so, so God, I, I just pray today that um, we wrestle with that. God, we know you are asking us to do something, take some sort of next step to bring something into the light, to be honest about something, to step into something. And God, we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to fail or we're not going to do it right or, or whatever gets in our head. And God, I pray that this story reminds us it's not about us, it's about you. God, as we uh, think and dream and pray about for Frederick Week, God, God, I pray that we understand that this isn't about earning anything, but this whole experience is about bringing people to you and using our action to show people who you are and show uh, what grace is and how good it is. God, we're thankful, uh, though we don't have to earn anything like that, that we don't have to work for it, because, God, we know we would fall short. But, God, I pray for the people in this room that have been trying to earn that grace for years, that they finally understand that it's not about what they can do, it's about you. Um, God, we're just so thankful for that. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.